Penguin Awareness Day or something? <laughs> good morning, church. Glad you have made it. It's good to see several of you have survived the illness of last week. Uh, still counting how many people were down and out, but it was rough. It was rough. King's Kids. If you're in second grade or under and you would like to go to junior church, it's not required, but if you would like to go be with the other kids, they've got a Bible story, a lesson for you, you may be dismissed. They are setting a new record today. I'm counting 18 little bodies out the door, which is a good moment to advertise. We need help in the children's department. Uh, we're, we're restructuring things at Sunday school. Sunday school starting right at 9.30. They're learning some new songs. They're together, and then we break them up, and divide and conquer is our motto right now. And we're dividing them up according to compatibility. There are certain kids that we just need to, they're close enough in age, some of them are siblings, that we just need to separate them. So um, be an advocate for us. Uh, encourage them to listen to their teachers and to go with the flow and it may not last. It may be permanent. I don't know. We are just week to week seeing who we've got, what we can do. My teachers are still with us, so mostly. Yeah, big, big amen. Uh, but we could use another family that would want to help teach King's Kids at 1030 service. That's like once every five weeks. We've got curriculum. We've got snacks. You can sit in with somebody who's already doing it, see how they do it. And then if, if you're just like solo, like, I'd like to do it, but I need help. Finding the teacher is the hardest part. Finding the helpers is the easy part. If you are interested in any way, shape, or form, let me know. Uh, we can always use help. Fresh meat, I mean fresh help, is always appreciated. Just throw you to the wolves. Um, uh, and let me say something else as we're, what an appropriate song, The Heart of Worship. If you bring kids to church, don't correct them during church. I mean, if they're hurting themselves or they're hurting somebody else, don't worry about shushing them. They're going to chat. They're going to visit. It's okay. What your kids need to see in church is you worshiping. You so focused that, that they can't even distract you from getting something from the music, from the sermon, from everything. Focus on that when you are here. Before church and after church, you're kind of like, hey, shape up. <laughs> Or we're going out to the bathroom kind of talk. You know, I had to have that talk with some kids before. But when we're in the middle of worship, don't, don't worry about it. If the adults can't learn to worship over little people, then you're not going to worship at work. You're not going to worship when you're driving. You're not going to worship when you are at Walmart. Know what I'm saying? Those are big people distractions. If you can't learn to worship over little people that are chatting and visiting and hanging out, you're not going to worship anywhere. There are no quiet places. Even up, are you like me? You lose track of praying because you start thinking about something else? That's not some little five-year-old's fault. That's my fault. We need to train ourselves to worship in whatever state we are in, whatever feeling we are in, whatever relationship we are in. Welcome to the Song of Songs this morning. Open your Bible to the book Song of Songs, Probably the least highlighted, marked, dog-eared section of your Bible. For good reason, but not a good enough reason. It's 
So we are going there today. We're not going to read the whole thing out loud. <laughs> and some of the parents are like, thanks, saved. Um, so Miss Pat is going to read a section for me. What section did I ask you to read? Uh, chapter 1, 1 through 10. Chapter 1. So yeah, just open to the beginning, Song of Songs. Uh, we've got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, also called Song of Solomon. If you have a really old school Bible, it may, might say canticles. That's the Latin word for song, canticles. Um, so Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 1, lay it on us. This is from the English Standard Version. Um, hold on, I'll, I can just move. Okay. It says, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And in the English Standard Version, it says, the bride confesses her love. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chamber. And then my, ver my version says, others respond. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. And then the bride again. I am very dark but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me keeper of the vineyards. But my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? And then Solomon responds, or the groom. If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, and your neck with strings of jewels. So we are finishing up a year-long pursuit for wisdom and the Hebrew Scriptures. We've examined wisdom from the Garden of Eden, a life of Abraham, Moses, David, and then Solomon. From Solomon, we went down through Proverbs. We've publicly read every verse in Proverbs. We had a one-week overview of Ecclesiastes, and last week we did Job. We are on the final book of this wisdom journey, the Song of Songs. I went through the book several times this week. I have, since we're not reading the whole thing, I wanted to just flip through it and read to you some of what I consider to be the uh, best phrases or the most common ones. At least some of these you've probably heard, heard before. In chapter 2, verse 1, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Verse 3, an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. Verse 4, he brought me to the banqueting house or table, and his banner over me was love. I've heard that in a few songs, his banner over me is love. 
Verse 7, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field. This is the warning. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And that particular phrase is going to cycle through three times. I see that as meaningful. It's showing a pattern. It's a very hard book to outline because, as you heard in her reading, uh, there are different voices, different tenses. It'll be singular. It'll be plural. So people have have the opinion that it's, it's, it's a love song, of course, but it seems to be organized with different people speaking. Who are the people? Some people would insert Solomon in there. Some people say it was written after Solomon. Some people say it's Solomon's best poetry put into one book, kind of like his top 10. I kind of am favoring that, that Solomon wrote the bulk of this, but he didn't organize it like this. God brought some men who were inspired by the Spirit to come along later, organize some Hebrew love poetry, it's love poetry, for the purpose of teaching us something about God. If it's just love poetry, uh, then why is it in the Bible? There's more to it than that. As a Baptist, my theological grid is to be literal historical and grammatical that's why the song of songs throws a i was gonna say monkey wrench but it's more like a a five pound crescent wrench at my head because this book isn't does it's not like a lot of other books where you just have little examples of different genres the whole thing appears to be a love song, an allegory, and a parable all at the same time, like interwoven together. It's a love song? Yes. It's an allegory? Yes. It's a parable? Yes. Did you pay attention in English class? No. Then you might need to remind her on what those things are, so you need to go Google that later. Parable is a short story with one big moral. But an allegory is an extended story or an extended collection of parables with multiple deeper meanings. There's the surface meaning of the story, but then it goes somewhere else. And allegories and parables, we learn more about them as we grow. As we read the Bible more, particularly the New Testament, the life of Jesus, the more you read that, the more in the seasons of your life and the maturity levels that you go through, you're going to understand the parables on different levels. As a single person, the parables are going to mean this. When you get married, it adds a layer of, oh, I can see the parental layer coming in there. Then you have grandkids, and you can see, you're probably going to see a lot more laid back, graceful layer in there. Not, you know, that layer of grace that you probably didn't have with your own kids that you have with your grandkids, different seasons of life. You lose a spouse, some of those parables are going ha- to hit differently. When you understand what it means to be lonely, when you understand what it means to lose somebody you love, that's the nature of that genre of literature. And Song of Songs is an extended allegory masquerading as a love song with interwoven parables. Chapter 2, 
Verse 16 is another common phrase. My beloved is mine and I am his. Chapter 3, verse 5, here it is again. Stir, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. It's that cycle, it's coming through. Chapter 4, listen to some of these are some uh, familiar descriptions that we probably don't use nowadays for our loved ones. Your eyes are doves. Your hair, flock of goats. These other descriptive words, shorn, used, scarlet, thread, halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David. Is that backhanded? I can't tell. I mean, like, you've been lifting, lady. You're looking good, strong. You did not skip neck day. Like, um, two, fawns. Verse 7. You are altogether beautiful, my love. Verse 9, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. Uh, that, that Middle Eastern mindset of a relationship is not just husband and wife. There's a level of respect there. And a husband, to say that his wife is also his sister, it, it's meaningful. It's more than she's not just my lover we're also friends. We know each other. It's like we've grown up together. We have an affection for each other that is more than just physical, more than just commitment. We're like brother and sister. We know each other. We finish each other's sandwiches. My sister, my bride. Chapter 5, verse 16. This is my beloved and this is my friend. Yeah, the depth of that relationship. They know each other. Chapter 6, verse 3. I am my beloved's and he is mine. Or my beloved is mine. That's a really common phrase. I've heard that in the song as well. I am my beloved and he is mine. He owns me, I own him. It's mutual. Chapter 7. Verse 10, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Uh, we're going to talk more about this in a minute, but the whole book, Song of Songs, has all of these verbal cues, garden imagery, garden pictures. All of it is supposed to point us back to Genesis and the perfect relationship between uh, a man and a woman who are naked and unashamed, who are vulnerable and together, because God put it together that way. And you remember the, the curse? God said to the woman, your desire will be for him, but he will be against you. Ooh. Chapter 7, verse 10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. That's a reversal. Their love is trying to reverse the curse. He is trying to desire her like the very beginning, like God ordained the plan. So it's a love that is battling against some of our human nature, but it's also a love that is transcendent to all of our human nature the desire to know somebody and be known by them. Chapter 8, verse 4. 
O daughters of Jerusalem, stir, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. That's the third time that phrase has been echoed in this book. And I think that's meaningful to show us the cycles of a relationship. They are engaged, but not married yet. Betrothed would be a, a biblical word there. Promised. They describe each other. They get together. Looks like they're going to get hot and heavy. Looks like the honeymoon's coming. Looks like they're about to get a room. And then it breaks. And then they're searching for each other again. And she says, don't awaken love until it's time. And sh she's searching for him. He's searching for her. They describe each other. They embrace. They're about to get a room. And then it breaks again. Do not awaken love before it's time. Then they're separated again. You have all these breaks. And then she's searching for him. He's searching for her. They find each other. She describes him. He describes her. It's getting hot and heavy. They're about to get a room. And then it breaks. It's, it's not explicit. There's a level of patience and relationship. She is described as chaste. She is a locked garden. She's maintaining some, some purity and some integrity. And yet, man, do they want to get together. It's coming. So allegories, parables, they're going, this, the meaning of this book is going to grow. Um, not everything in this book is literal. Not everything in this book is allegorical. Not everything in this parable has a secondary meaning. Some of it's just straight up love, poetry, and description. But the bigger purpose going on there is what we need to talk about. If you'll remember the parables of Jesus, parables hide truth on purpose so that only those who are drawing near to God can understand what Jesus is saying. He's hiding truth in his parables. Song of Songs is trying to reveal some truth to us. Um, this is the third sermon I've written on this song this week. <laughs> You're getting the third version because I just had to copy, delete, start over, delete, start over. Uh, I, I had to unfold one of those and turn it into Sunday school lesson. I just had so, this is the hardest I've had to work on a book summary in my life. Um, and that speaks to the fact that culturally, and in church history, we haven't done well with this book. Um, our culture has a hang-up with sexual things. Uh, and I think, I think that's why we shy away from some pretty clear language. And we're afraid. Let me tell you, in the first century, as part of their yearly Bible reading cycle, in the Jewish synagogue, they would read this book out loud in one sitting every year. In a mixed crowd with different ages. Maybe talking about these things and our desires and our emotions, maybe that might be the key <laughs> to it not becoming a hang-up in our lives. It can be a tendency of church and church people to oppress our sexuality to our own hurt. How has God made us? Wonderfully made. How do we live out our lives? Sometimes corrupt. 
being honest with our desires and our passions, but also seeing what the deeper meaning is for our desires and our passions. Here are some summaries. Write these down. Book of Proverbs. Are you going to choose Lady Folly? Or are you going to be the Proverbs 31 spouse? Personalizing it. Choose Lady Wisdom. Well, there's also the choice to choose Lady Folly. The easy way. Or are you going to be the Proverbs 31 spouse? Ecclesiastes. Are you going to fear God and enjoy life even in the middle of confusion? When life doesn't go the way you think it should go, when you're confused, when things seem upside down, will you fear God anyway? And find ways to enjoy the life God has given you anyway. Book of Job. Can you fear God and love your enemies in your suffering? Ooh, that's a hard one. Will you fear God and love your enemies in your suffering? Song of songs, in that wisdom vein. Do you fear God enough to pursue him like silly lovers? <laughs> the way these two describe each other in this book is awesome. But from an outsider looking in on a relationship, it seems silly. You've seen that puppy love before, right? You've seen a couple of young people married. and you're, Have you ever just shaken your head at some people? and I would never do that. Or, oh, would you stop talking about so-and-so? Yeah we, yeah, we know. We know you're dating. Yes, we, yes, yes, we've seen the ring. Yes. It, like, just, just overjoyed that they have found somebody to love and that they are being loved. Uh, it seems silly, but it's, it's not silly. It's tapping into a part of how we were designed. Now, human love is only one part of the puzzle. As an allegory, the book, the Song of Songs, is trying to teach us about God's love as well. So here, here's the Solomon connection. I'm also calling that the wisdom element. Uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job talk about how we handle life from different perspectives. Uh, the Solomon connection comes in there in verse 1. Solomon is mentioned a couple other times in the book. Uh, I do not think Solomon is the male voice in this book. Uh, if you think so, if your, if your study Bible says he is, that's okay. It, it is not integral to the understanding of the deeper meaning that Solomon be that voice. I think it's uh, a love triangle. I think there's a woman and her shepherd boy. Solomon comes on the scene and he gets cut out. He gets rejected by her. They have a love that is going to be purer, higher, and more endearing than Solomon's love for his 700 wives. How could a dude with 700 wives write this about one? These two seem to have eyes only for each other. Well, maybe it's Solomon's first love. That's an option. Maybe it's one of Solomon's sons who fell in love the right way, married one wife, 
And this is a counterpoint to the way his dad lived. There are a lot of different options here. It's tied to Solomon to give it that wisdom feel, that wisdom element. And we think about the life of Solomon. The life and deeds of Solomon hyperlink or remind us of the Garden of Eden over and over and over again. Solomon's life, his story, has all of these ties to Adam and Eve and the garden, all the imagery, um, his experience. He's, he's in Proverbs, he's like, choose lady wisdom, avoid lady folly. And in his life, he doesn't do that. Well, he does at first. He asks for God's wisdom, but then later on, he has all these women. He himself is, is a portrait of, of us, two different natures, battling it out, reaching for God's wisdom, and then grasping for everything else that we're not supposed to have because God warned us about it. He's building the temple, all oh, the imagery in that temple that he built with the cherubim, the pomegranates, and the trees, all of that, he's building a miniature Garden of Eden. That's where you meet God in the Holy of Holies. Trees everywhere, the tree of life. All of Solomon's life is, is hyperlinking back to that. So when this book hyperlinks to Solomon, it's tapping into all that same imagery. And that's what we've been learning through the wisdom. It's woo. It's all tied together. It's trying to teach us about God. Here's the question. Will we hear God calling? Or will we go our own way grasping through life selfishly? Will you only see this as a love story? Or will you begin to see that God loves you like this? Or let me phrase it this way. Will you see this as somebody else's story? Or will you see this as your story? I want a God who loves me like this. This seems to be the perfect relationship. Only have eyes for each other. Solomon comes along and offers money for love. He wants to woo her. He's noticed her too. She rejects him. And she describes her shepherd boy instead. And then the shepherd boy rebukes. <laughs> it's great. It's a good story. Will we hear God calling through it? So that's the Solomon connection. But then here's the allegory, the history. Because both Jewish and Christian tradition have seen the book Song of Songs as an allegory. They've had slightly different interpretations. They've gone slightly different directions, but I think they're getting the point. God's people have recognized this book is in the Bible because it's more than a love story. Time out. We recognize genres, figures of speech, allegories, and parables as they come along in the Bible. We don't over-literalize it, but we do look for the main point, the primary meaning. The trouble with an allegory is it's trying to make multiple points at the same time. We do not read all of the Bible as allegory. No. We do not read all of the prophecies as allegory. We cannot allegorize all of the Bible. 
In fact, we allegorize very little of the Bible because it's historical, it's telling, it's narrative, it is poetry, but unless it's clearly an allegory like this book is, we don't use that as an interpretive method. It's one tool in our belt. It's not the belt. You don't come at the Bible and say, allegory, everything has a deeper meaning. This represents this, this represents this. That will, that will sidetrack you so fast, I'll have to sit you down. I don't want to sit you down. Read the Bible like we read a lot of other books, looking for the common sense, clear, interpretive meaning, and you don't have to dig deep for those. Pipe wrench, but you have to dig deep on the Song of Songs. Whoa, whoa, whoa. what's going on? It's a wake-up call. Song of Songs is a wake-up call. It has knocked some people out. Some people have lost their minds over the Song of Songs. They don't want it to be there because we think sexuality is dirty. We think uh, sexual intimacy is to be oppressed. We think our desires are too strong. We fear lust. We fear adultery. We fear, we fear... And we can squelch some important truths there if we're not careful. Overreacting is what I would call that. So here's the Song of Songs telling us Old Testament perspective. The, the, the traditional Jewish perspective is that this is an artistic portrayal of God's love for Israel. Got it. That has been the tradition, traditional interpretation for Jewish scholars for a very long time. And even though this was commonly read in public, there were some families that wouldn't show up that day for synagogue. There are some rabbis who say you should not read this book of the Bible unless you're over 18. There's, there's pushback both ways on that. And then there's some parents who are like, this is a great story. I want my kids to hear how much God loves our people. He rejoices over us. He sings over us. Yes. Um, have, you, have you read the book of Hosea? Mm, snickering tells me you probably have. Yeah. God's love for his people. He directly equates it with marriage. God marries himself to Israel. Yeah, it's there. He considers idolatry as adultery. If an Israelite worships another god, God says, you're a whore. Whoa. Biblical usage of the word, not, not trying to be derogatory, but you're giving away your love to the wrong person. We are married. Don't break the covenant. Don't break that. Like, so that language... The, it identifies and it maps right on top of this. And then the New Testament perspective, that this is an artistic portrayal of Jesus' love for the church. Is it love poetry? Yes. Does it show God's love for Israel? Yes. Does it show God's love for church? Yes. Here's my one off-the-wall observation. I say off-the-wall because 
I've only recently learned it. Based upon Proverbs 1 through 9 and Proverbs 31, remember those? Proverbs 1 through 9, that's where Solomon, he personifies the wisdom of God as Lady Wisdom. You remember that? Lady Wisdom is calling. She's in the streets. She's in the courtyard. She's looking in every alley. She's crying out for her lovers. That's, she's crying out. Lady Wisdom is looking for you, inviting you to partake of her. She is a tree of life. She will give you what you need. She will teach you about God. And in fact, mar she wants to marry you. Lady Wisdom. That's Proverbs 31 as well. The ideal spouse is the personification of Lady Wisdom. With that in our minds, is the female voice in Song of Songs Lady Wisdom? Is the female voice in Song of Songs the voice of God? And we are the male voice. Humanity is who she's looked, searching after. She and Song of Songs is 70% of the voice. She's the bulk of the book, crying out, describing, searching, seeking, searching, seeking, just like Lady Wisdom. And I don't know about you in your life, but I don't search God out 70% of the time. He's doing the bulk of the work on me. I'm like the dude in Song of Songs. He's there, and then he's gone. He's kind of a come-and-go character. When he's there, he's like all in, but then, oh, I got to go. Then he, then he moves on. She has to find him. He is just the typical Craig. That's my spiritual life. It is God who reaches out to me. It is God who is calling out to me. And when I respond, it is great. And we have these great moments. You have these great moments of fellowship and closeness with God when you're praying and the next day you go to work and it's like you have to start all over again. We go through that same cycle, that love cycle that's in this book. That's the same cycle God is going through with you all the time sometimes you're close sometimes you're not he's always looking for you however he's looking for you to respond and come after him searching calling seeking the female is called a tree like the tree of life and fruitful and the male voice seems a lot like humanity so there's the, the allegorical side of it, the Jewish and Christian tradition merged with today. And then the John and Paul conclusion. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle John give us an eternal perspective on the book Song of Songs. I think of it this way. You think of the Old Testament meaning and now we're layering it with the New Testament. Old Testament, God is clear that he has a marriage covenant love for the people of Israel. And the New Testament, Jesus has a marriage covenant love for his people. Same thing, believers. God's love for his people. Um, keep your finger in Song of Songs, but turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. I did not make a slide for this. I apologize. I should have. <clears throat> not only does Jesus talk about himself marrying the church not only um, does the book of Revelation talk about Jesus marrying the church Ephesians 5 in verse 22 
Paul starts talking about the relationship between wives and husbands. What does it mean for the husband to be the head of the wife? And, and it's, he has a really good section. Husbands, love your wives. They're supposed to be submitting to one another. It's a mutual submission of wives to husbands, husbands to wives, loving each other, sanctifying each other. And verse 31 says, it's a quote from Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the way God has designed a marriage to be. Two become one. And verse 32 is the truth bomb. This mystery, which the mystery is a husband and wife becoming one. Marriage. A husband and wife becoming one flesh. That's the mystery he's talking about. He says this mystery of two becoming one is deep. Get ready to go deep. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The way a husband and wife come together, not just physically, completely, is supposed to be a picture, a reference, a shadow, an example of how Jesus loves the church and marries himself to his people. That's crazy. If you think your marriage is about you, you are wrong. Your marriage is supposed to be about God. Your marriage is supposed to be a reflection. Like mystery, magnify. Think of a magnifying glass. You hold up a magnifying glass and it makes whatever you're looking at bigger, right? Not so with marriage. If somebody were to take a magnifying glass to a marriage, when they look through it, they should see God and his love for the church. Like, wait, what? I thought that was Dave and Tanya. And I look at their marriage and it should be a picture. It should magnify Jesus and his love for the church. That's the mystery. And if we look through it with a biblical lens, it is not Dave and Tanya. It's Dave and Tanya. There's the love story on the surface. But they've been through a lot. They've had their ups and downs. Amen? They've struggled with raising kids. They've struggled, they've fought, they've scrapped, but they've been faithful. That faithfulness speaks of who God is, how he intends for them to be married. And their love for one another is a small shadow of the commitment that God has for everybody in his family. Marriage is a shadow example of God's love for his people. That's how it works. And when we overlap that understanding of marriage with, <laughs> with the book Song of Songs, it goes real deep, real fast. Is this a love song? Back to Song of song, Solomon. Is this a love song? Yes. Is it about God and Israel? Yes. Is it about Jesus and the church? Yes. I want to read chapter 8, verses 1 through 7 as we get ready to wind this up. I'm on the home stretch. Stick with me here. Will I ever do a sermon on Song of Songs again? Not likely. <laughs> 
you just don't see this book even quote it's so dense and its intention is so singular as an allegory on God's love for his people that it's just not you just don't quote it anywhere like very very few commentaries like when they're talking about other scripture go back to song of songs it's just it's just not there chapter 8 verse 1 Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I found you outside, I would kiss you and none would despise me. I wish you were like my brother so I could kiss you in public and nobody would say anything. But since we're married and I can't kiss you in public, man, I sure wish you were my brother. Then I could be all over you and nobody think anything. They just think it's sibling affection. She can't wait to marry this dude. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother. She who used to teach me. They're about to get a room. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. Break. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, I adjure you, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Break. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Important two verses. Set me as a seal upon your heart. As a seal upon your arm. Get a tattoo that says, you love me. Forever. Love is strong as death. Jealousy, another form of love, jealous love is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of Yahweh. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man, like Solomon, offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. The Bible is clear that Solomon goes into many of his marriages to further the kingdom. He marries many princesses to further his kingdom, to further his wealth. And the lovers here say, utterly despised. Not loving a guy like that. Our love is different. Our love is special. So, next blank. Song of Songs is highlighting an engagement between two chaste, lovers to magnify just how much God is pursuing us to marry him song of songs is highlighting an engagement courting relationship between two pure lovers in order that that book would magnify just how much God is pursuing us and how God is calling us to marry ourselves to him. Single people, Song of Songs is not about marriage. It's about God. It's about how God personally desires a relationship with each one of us. Jesus was single and had complete fulfillment in God the Father. Jesus does not lift marriage up as the ideal. God is not building his kingdom through pregnancies. God is building his kingdom through conversions. 
Singleness is important, and it's even promoted by Jesus and the Apostle Paul as an honorable, respectful estate. Song of Songs has meaning for single people because God desires you. Married people, your marriage is not the most important relationship in your life. Marriage is an opportunity to make a relationship in your life like Jesus and his love for his church. Husbands, we have a great responsibility to love our wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life. That is not just a picture to your spouse, by the way. That becomes a picture to your kids. Not just of your love for your spouse. It's a magnification of how much Jesus laid down his life for his people. See how it goes? It's deep. It's deep. Divorced people. God calls us into a marriage relationship, not a formal religion. God calls all of us into a marriage relationship with himself, not a formal religion. Formal religions we can break up. A relationship with God we never end so specifically to families that have been through divorce I want to tell you your kids do not need an example of a perfect marriage but your kids do need examples of unswerving devotion to Jesus no matter what other people throw at them no bitterness no envy no rage and there's a lot of reason to have all of that for everybody. But when you have been hurt deeply through a marriage that has ended, how you handled that says a lot to the people around you, to the little people around you, but also to you and your relationship with God. Do you see God that way? And that's the battle. That things on earth imperfectly represent God you're not going to see a perfect marriage anyway to hurting people to hurting people if you wonder why God allows strong twisted or abnormal sexual desires let me say that again if you wonder why God allows strong sexual desires twisted sexual desires or abnormal sexual desires song of songs helps us song of songs is showing us that our sexual desires even the problematic and broken ones are a pointer to a greater truth that our soul desires to know god and be known by him even our broken sexual desires even if they're completely opposite of what you think is natural. Even broken sexual desires are a pointer to the fact that we want to be loved by God and we will only find satisfaction when we find love from God. Not in other people. It's all a shadow. It's all a mist. It's an enigma. It's a deep truth. It's a mystery. I remind you again that Jesus was single. 
but Jesus was also unswervingly committed in a covenant relationship with his father. That's the same language as married. Why was Jesus never married? His heart was already married. He was already in union. I and the Father are one. Do you remember him saying that? Two shall become one flesh. What in the world is going on with all that language? It's showing us how important union with God is over union with anybody else. It's deep. And I had this thought that I just typed in recently. Jesus is single so he can marry himself to his bride at the beginning of eternity. The Bible ends with the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Spirit and the bride say, come. My last question to you is, are you married to God? Are, do you think of your relationship with God like a marriage? God has crafted all the language of Christian, Christian faith, Christian devotion, Christian commitment, uh, Christian promise. All that language is interchangeable with marriage language, wedding language, covenants, vows, oaths. Those are the things we do at weddings. Those are the things we, we really try to only do on the deepest level with one other person. And that's because it speaks of a bigger truth. Are you and do you consider yourself married, inseparably linked with God? It's kind of an odd way to think about it, but should it be? That's not the language you hear at a crusade. <laughs> it's not the language you hear at an altar call. Marry God today. But that's what it is. You will not discover the fullness of who God made you to be until you pour yourself out for Him. He pours Himself into you and the two become one. Your identity with Christ, your union with Christ, the seal of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all of that language is about oneness. Yield to Him today. Yield to Him. Stand with me and let's pray for that. With your head bowed and our eyes closed, the Bible ends... Think about this with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I'm going to read to you from Revelation 22:17. The Bible ends where the Song of Songs dares to tread. Revelation 22:17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price Jesus has bought everything for the wedding including your soul see yourself as married to Jesus Christ see yourself as married to Jesus and you will find the Holy Spirit of God ready to transform you 
into the man or woman that you were created to be. You will never find complete satisfaction outside of Jesus. He's prepared everything. The table, the house, the banquet, your soul. He's ready to clothe you and white. He cleanses you by his blood. He sanctifies you through his word. God, we come to you this morning when we ask you to keep working on our hearts. Forgive us for loving so many things and showing we care about things more than we care about you. For those who are single, God, honor their calling. Help them to to find their deepest soul satisfaction in the cross of Jesus Christ that he poured out himself for them. For those who are married, teach them to lay down their lives for one another. For those who are hurt and hurting and broken, remind them that there is a love yet to experience that will heal all those hurts. God, we come before you and we say thank you for Jesus and the hope that we have in the marriage to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. return to the Lord. Come, come let us return to the Lord. In brokenness of heart, we consecrate our lives singing. Come, come let us return to the Lord. the bowing of a knee, Lord, we are returning. With a prayer and with a fast, with a song in minor key, Lord, we are repenting. Even now, even now, with all turn, you may leave the blessing behind. Come, come let us return to the Lord. Come, come let us return to the Lord. Of heart, we consecrate our lives, sing
benediction verses for today are from Psalm 34 verses 11 through 14 <clears throat> come you children listen to me I will teach you the fear of the Lord who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit depart from evil and do good Seek peace and pursue it. You are dismissed.